0: Hi, Lloyd. A little slow tonight, isn't it?? <laughs> yes, it is, Mr. Torrance. What would be? Now, I'm awfully glad you asked me that, Lloyd, because I just happen to have two twenties and two tens right here in my wallet. Welcome to Bourbon and Branch, it's Sunday April 1st, April Fool's Day, but I'm not going to pull any pranks here, I've got the real deal. Today's boozy snack will be a special side-by-side comparison of Old Rip Van Winkle versus two different versions of Poor Man's Pappy, which I concocted about six weeks ago, and let mingle specifically for a special occasion such as today's tasting. Sure, today isn't any sort of national holiday, but ask yourself this. Isn't any day a holiday when you get to sip on something as tasty and as rare as old Rip Van Winkle Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey? I definitely can't wait for what I'm calling the Pappy Experiment, but now it's time for some Bourbon 101. Pappy Van Winkle, When Bourbon Becomes a Status Symbol by Anna Archibald from Supercall.com Walk by a liquor store later this October and you might think you're missing out on the new iPhone release. Every autumn, when Pappy Van Winkle unleashes their annual release of weeded bourbon, thousands of people across the country flock to liquor stores to try to get their hands on one of the few thousand bottles of the 15, 20, or 23-year-old spirits. Some may have an in with the shop owners and score a bottle, while others leave it up to chance, entering into a lottery and camping out with hundreds of others vying for the same half-dozen bottles. If that doesn't work out, they'll open up their wallets wide, and turn to the price-gouged secondary market. The difference between an Apple release and a Pappy release is that while some folks may have to wait a couple of months to get their phone in the mail, the vast majority of Pappy hunters will never lay their hands on a bottle. This is the mania created by the Pappy Van Winkle cult that's been nearly two decades in the making. It started in the 1990s, says Fred Minnick, author of Bourbon, The Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of an American Whiskey. When Julian Van Winkle, the grandson of Pappy, began blending the 20 and 23-year-old which up to that point most consumers considered too oaky for their liking. In 2002, the Van Winkles partnered with Buffalo Trace Distillery, and the brand really started to heat up. A number of awards and raving reviews later, it became harder and harder to find a bottle in liquor stores, and lottery systems cropped up in various states. Starting in 2005, the demand is really there, says Minick, who has a few bottles of his own, all of which he purchased before Pappy Mania hit a fever pitch. People know about Pappy around 2008. For one bottle, there's 50 to 100 people who want it. In 2012, you have such a demand that these guys have to do lotteries and now people are camping out. Last year, Minnick, who's based in Kentucky, went to a raffle prompting him to write a piece for the spring 2017 issue of Whiskey Advocate titled On the Hunt for Rare Bourbons. He says there were about 300 to 400 people there for a dozen bottles. As a whiskey enthusiast, Minnick has seen and felt the effects of the pappy craze, not only on the brand, but also on the industry as a whole. But when it comes down to it, bourbon is just bourbon, right? Plenty of other bottles must serve as a sufficient alternative for those who can't seem to get their hand on a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. Is all the hype really warranted? I've asked myself that question a lot, and I go back and forth on it, says Minnick. The minute that I say no, it's not warranted. I taste it again, and I'm like, damn, that's good. So I think everything is relative to an individual's desire to try and get a bottle. Though Pappy's rise to fame was largely due to its impressive quality, it's now evolved into a much more complicated phenomenon. For starters, there's just not that much of it, leading people to go to drastic measures to get a bottle. Pappy and his son had a belief that if you think you can sell 10,000 bottles, make 5,000, because it's worse to get caught with too much than not have enough, says Minnick. Now for some bourbon news. Brown Foreman has a new bourbon, and it's the most expensive it's ever released. Louisville-based Brown Foreman Corporation is releasing a brand new high-end bourbon, King of Kentucky. This 14-year-old spirit will be available starting in June for a suggested retail price of $199 per 750ml bottle. It's going to be super rare too, as the company is only releasing 960 bottles during its initial run. The company, which also owns Woodford Reserve, Old Forester, and Early Times, is focusing on Kentucky for the launch because of its limited production. This is Brown Foreman's first new brand since it rolled out Cooper's Craft in 2016. But it isn't an entirely new label. King of Kentucky actually launched in 1881 as a nod to horse racing. Nicknamed the Sport of Kings, Brown Foreman purchased the name in 1936, a few years after the end of Prohibition, to give the company a product that to put on the shelves as it ramped up production of its early times and old forester brands. Master distiller Chris Morris explained, during a limited media event today, back then it had a number of iterations, including a one-year-old whiskey and a bourbon blended with grain-neutral spirits, not exactly high-end. Blood Oath series continues with release of Pact Number no. 4. It's the fourth expression in the Ultra Premium series, and it will debut with commemorative packaging. March 12, 2018, the fourth installment of the acclaimed Blood Oath Ultra Premium Bourbon Series, Pack Number 4, has launched this month. Blood Oath combines rare, top-notch bourbons, blended and bottled by hand, for a distinctively exclusive and unimagined Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. Pact number four continues the tradition with a masterful union of three well-bred Kentucky straight bourbons that come together for a unique and complex flavor profile. The first is an extra-age 12-year bourbon that provides a mellow finish with deep oak undertones, and the second is a rich 10-year bourbon that adds caramel and honey flavors. The third, a nine-year bourbon, rounds out the flavors as it is finished in toasted bourbon barrels, adding deep chocolate, vanilla, and spice flavors. We finish the 9-year bourbon in a toasted barrel to add an extra layer of flavor. The gentle heating adds more caramel and chocolate accents, as well as a spicier flavor. The toasted barrels, combined with the aging and traditional charred barrels, create a uniquely complex bourbon like no other, says John Rimpie, creator of Blood Oath and head distiller and master blender at Lux. This year's release will also be sold in a commemorative stained wooden box reminiscent of the toasted barrels used during the finishing process. Like its predecessors, the bottle is topped with a custom eco-friendly natural cork, sealed and labeled with certificate-style paper stock signed by John Rempe and bottled at 98.6 proof. Packed number four is available nationally in 750 milliliter bottles with a suggested retail price of $99.99. Now for some bourbon history. In 1893, when he was 18 years old, Julian Pappy Van Winkle Sr. began working as a salesman for the liquor wholesaler W.L. Weller & Son. Fifteen years later, he and another Weller salesman bought the firm. In 1910, they acquired the A.P.H. Stitzel Distillery in Louisville, Kentucky, which had started as a sour mash whiskey distillery in 1872. The Stitzel Distillery supplied much of the whiskey sold by the Weller Wholesale Firm. The consolidation coincided with Prohibition, during which time the Stitzel-Weller firm was licensed by the government to produce whiskey for medicinal purposes. One of their labels that was introduced on the market just before Prohibition was Old Rip Van Winkle. After Prohibition, the brand was not reintroduced until after 1972 when the Stitzelweiler distillery and its current brand names, including W.L. Weller, Old Fitzgerald, Rebel Yell, and Cabin Still, were sold to other companies. The only brand name the Van Winkle family had kept the rights to was a pre-prohibition brand, Old Rip Van Winkle. Sometime after the Stitzel-Weller Distillery was sold in 1972, Julian Van Winkle Jr. resurrected the pre-prohibition Old Rip Van Winkle brand and initially used old whiskey stocks from the distillery for its bottlings. Julian Jr. died in 1981, and Julian Van Winkle III, Pappy's grandson, took over the Old Rip Van Winkle Distillery Company. After the initial sale in 1972, the Stitzel-Weller Distillery was eventually closed completely in 1991. Since 2002, the Van Winkle brands have been distilled and bottled by the Sazerac Company at the Buffalo Trace Distillery as a joint venture with the old Rip Van Winkle Distillery Company. In 2013, Julian Press and Van Winkle III said the 2013 bottlings of the 23-year-old brand expression may be the last of its kind, since at that point there was very little left of the aging stock from the Stitzelweiler Distillery, although he said the brand would not be discontinued. The makers say that they do not want to boost production as there is considerable long-term risk, and they do not want to be left holding copious quantities of unsellable bourbon should tastes, fashions, or circumstances change. Production is being increased somewhat, with a projected increase of the annual production from the current six to 8,000 bottles to 15,000 by 2025, but the production will remain well below mass market levels. Now for some bourbon trivia. 10 Things You Didn't Know About Pappy Van Winkle via Thrillist.com Within the bourbon nerd community, If you've tasted Pappy Van Winkle, you've basically communicated with God. The brand is worshipped among whiskey drinkers, but good luck finding it. Part of Pappy's allure is its mystery. Because it's produced in such small batches, you almost never see it in the wild. And while we can't point you toward a bottle, we can at least pull back the curtain on the Hooch's history. It begins like most bourbon histories in Kentucky, but from there it journeys to Chicago, Hollywood, and more we tell you to pour yourself a glass as you read this, but we know you don't have it. So here's the list. Number one, Bourdain is one of its biggest fans. Anthony Bourdain gave Pappy a sly endorsement when he declared, I'm here for that incredibly wonderful bourbon whose name I'm not going to mention because there are just too many sons of bitches out there who want it on the layover. It was pretty obvious which bourbon he was talking about, though. And he was more explicit when he tweeted out, I am considering a full Pappy Van Winkle back tattoo. Will some ink master please take him up on this? Number two, the Pappy Heist was remarkably easy to pull off. The whiskey world was rocked when Buffalo Trace discovered 200 bottles of its precious Pappy had gone missing in 2013. It turned out an employee had been secretly stealing bottles from 2008 up until 2015, when the ring was officially busted. But he was no criminal mastermind. The Pappy people were just keeping the bourbon in a cage with faulty hinges, and only taking inventory twice, when the bourbon was placed in there and when it was taken out for sale. Sounds like Buffalo Trace needs to upgrade to a state of the art KFC vault. Number 3. Only 6,000 to 8,000 bottles are produced per year. The Old Rip Van Winkle Distillery, or Buffalo Trace Distillery since Old Rit Van Winkle is just a label, pumps out less than 10,000 bottles annually. Within a decade, the company is hoping to double its output to 15,000. But since Pappy needs to be aged so long, it's a work in progress. Number 4. Pappy was real and he hated science. First off, Pappy was a real person. Julian P. Van Winkle. He got into the whiskey business in 1893 at the tender age of 18 and eventually became president of the Stitzelweiler Distillery. While he was running the distillery, he kept a little sign-up that said, No Chemists Allowed. It referred to his philosophy that all you need to make good bourbon is mother nature and father time. He also, presumably, thought chemistry was for nerds. Number five, but he was a stickler for bourbon law. When Van Winkle started out at Stitzel willer he was a traveling salesman for one of its labels, W.L. Weller, and he didn't fully believe in the product he was selling. At the time, Willer whiskeys were altered with flavoring and coloring agents, which goes very much against the guidelines for true bourbon. The Willer whiskey proof was also frequently corrected with grain alcohol. Once Van Winkle seized power, he pushed hard for traditional bourbon. When someone asked him about the course correction, he gave this choice quote, There's no one purer than a reformed prostitute. Number six, a rating from the Beverage Testing Institute created the Pappy Frenzy. Don't worry, they scored higher than that in the 80s and 90s. Pappy went through a rough patch. Julian III was in charge and up against a market interested in vodka and gin, not fancy bourbons. He could only move units by selling the stuff in gimmicky jars with coal miners on them. Until the Beverage Testing Institute stepped in, the Chicago-based group rates liquor on a scale of 100. And in 1996, the 20-year Pappy Van Winkle scored a 99. It was the highest rating ever for a whiskey. With the A-plus score, Pappy was rescued from schmaltzy marketing hell and exploded into the cult it is today. Number seven, the maker's mark dude consulted with Pappy. Pappy's granddaughter, Sally Van Winkle Campbell, wrote a book about her family's business titled But Always Fine Bourbon, Pappy Van Winkle and the Story of Old Gerald. In it, she reveals this interesting tidbit bill samuels senior consulted with pappy as he was developing makers mark it's unclear just how much influence pappy had on bill but both bourbons are made with wheat rather than rye so he might have given samuels an idea number eight it had a recurring cameo on justified the fx show's prop master john harrington managed to snag four whole bottles before pappy mania swept the nation so the beverage made sporadic cameos during the series run hopefully harrington is just as tough as those justified dudes because we imagine many people wanted to hurt him for that haul. Number nine, there's an app that tells you where it is. It's called Pappy Tracker. It's free and it scans Twitter and Instagram for mentions in your area. You're welcome. Number 10, it makes great jello shots. Last November, the Louisville bar, Meta, got its hands on a few bottles. Only the staff didn't ring the siren we assume all bars have for Pappy and wait for customers to line up with $60 in hand for a pour. Instead, they proudly advertised Pappy Jello shots on their Facebook page. It was bold and possibly blasphemous, but when you've got the Van Winkle, you call the shots. And now it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show the Boozy Snack Review. Today, it's the Pappy Experiment. Delicious bourbon, brownest of the brown liquors. So tempting. What's that? You want me to drink you, but I'm in the middle of a trial. Excuse me. Hello, David. I'm really tempted. Just take it one day at a time and know that I love you. I love you too, man. So today, as you know, it's a special tasting, a special boozy snack review. I call this one the Pappy Experiment. Sitting before me, I have three tasty, exquisite boozy snacks. Number one is the Real McCoy. Old Rip Van Winkle Handmade Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. It's aged 10 years. It's 107 proof and truth be told, I've had it before and it's excellent. My second sample will be a poor man's pappy I put together a couple of months ago using 60% Weller 12 and 40% Weller Antique 107. And the third sample for comparison, the third and final sample is also poor man's pappy consisting of 60% Weller 12 and 40% Weller Antique 107, but I let it sit for a couple of months with a charred oak barrel stave inside the bottle to see if it would make any difference in the smoothness of this bourbon. Each sample has already been sitting for a couple of minutes and I've gotta tell you that it smells delicious. So without further ado, let's get this started and try the actual Roe McCoy, the old Rip Van Winkle 10 year Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. So eyeing the whiskey is definitely a lovely looking juice. It's a nice, almost auburn caramel and is very inviting. So let's give this thing a nose. The smell of this bourbon is awesome. Right off the bat, I get rich caramel, vanilla, and even some cherry. It rounds out with baking spice, some dark fruit, even some like, I would say some leather in there. Maybe some leather and tobacco. It's definitely a very sweet bourbon as far as the aroma goes, but it does manage to keep a balance. So now it's time to taste this bad boy. Yo, yeah, that's good stuff. The notes in the nose are so much like the taste you get. I get that same caramel, that same vanilla, the bit of the cherry in there. And on the back end, I get a little more of that spice, that cinnamon, the oakiness, the leather, it's all there. It's spicier than you would think, but it's delicious throughout. On mouthfeel, it's got a nice thickness to it. It's relative, relatively low on the burn, but it's nice with some smooth heat going all the way down. While I personally feel that the Van Winkle products are overhyped, I must say, over Van Winkle tenure, old Kentucky straight bourbon is definitely the real McCoy. It's a great bourbon and if you can get your hands on one, definitely get it. It's great bourbon. So let's try these other ones and see how they stack up. If they're anything close to the real McCoy or if they're a little off or who knows, they might even be better. So the second sample I'll be trying is the Poor Man's Pappy, which is just the 60% Weller 12 and the 40% Weller Antique 107. I'd say the colors are identical to the old Rip Van Winkle. It's pretty much that same nice amber caramel hue. It's just inviting looking, and I'm hoping that it tastes, you know, somewhere near the uh, regular, the original old Rip Van Winkle. So let's start off with the nose on this one. So on the nose, I get a lot of the same smells. I get the caramels, I get the vanilla, but i am got to say this one actually has a little more cherry to it. There's a little more cherry note. It also doesn't quite have as much spice in the, the aroma like the original Old Rip Van Winkle did. Nonetheless, it smells delicious and I can't wait to taste it. So here goes the taste for the first batch of Poor Man's Pappy. Yeah, that's, that's really, really, really close. Really close to the Old Rip Van Winkle. I'm actually pretty surprised. The caramel, the cherry, the vanilla notes, they're all there. Surprisingly, it's a little bit spicier, which on the nose, it didn't seem like that. But there's a little bit more spice to it. And I'd say this probably due to the fact that mash bill recipe-wise, it's pretty much the same, you know, mash bill, the same profile as the old Rip Van Winkle. It's just not going to have the same age or be stored in the same Rick House area, which, you know, all those factors can cause the differences, the differences in the taste, the aromas, the textures. But I've got to say, this is very, very, very close. It's definitely tasty. And I'd say that, you know, it, it's so close to, you know, an old Rip Van Winkle or a Pappy product for that matter, that it would be hard for anybody that's not just well-versed or just an excellent, you know, uh, has an excellent palate for bourbon to tell the difference between the two the real difference the only real difference that i'm getting out of it is just a little bit more spice to it a little more heat and it's not a bad heat it's not a bad you know it's not bad it's not burning going down it's not unpleasant it's just a little bit i would say not quite as smooth as the original old rip van winkle but nonetheless it's just tasty tasty bourbon so now on to my third and final poor man's pappy This one is 60% Wheeler 12 and 40% Wheeler Antique 107 as well. The only difference in this one was that I let it sit in a bottle with a oak, a charred oak barrel stab to age for the couple of months that I did this experiment. I was hoping that difference having the stab in there would uh, help out with some, you know, some of the smoothness of the bourbon make it closer to the original, the real McCoy, the old rip, or even maybe taste close to one of the uh, Pappy 12 year lot B. So let's give this one a shot see what we can uh, get from it. Once again, the colors are the same. It's still that awesome looking, inviting, caramel amber colored bourbon that you just, it sits in your glass and you just can't wait to take a sip of it. So let's give it a nose and see if it compares to the other two. So on the nose, there's definitely a difference in this one. I can definitely, you know, I get the, the, the vanilla, the cherry, the caramel, they're all there. The baking spice, the same notes as the first two. The difference in this one is, there's more oak to it, which explains a lot because of it. Ha- you know, it did have the, the stab in there, the aging staff. So that could, you know, that's going to make a difference. I would think as far as you know, making more of an oak or more of a tobacco profile come out with the nose of this bourbon. I'm hoping that that didn't cause it to be, you know, didn't cause it to make it unpleasant or the taste, you know, uh, seem more artificial. So let's give it a taste and see how it stacks up. Wow, the um, it tastes very similar to the first two. I still get the same notes. The cherry, the vanilla. There is more oak there. It does seem a bit smoother than the other two. A little, you know, the, the stab did make a difference. People have to say that's artificially aging a bourbon, but I don't get a taste. It doesn't taste artificial. I mean, the only thing that I get out of it is that it just it smoothed it out a little more. It's a little bit more um a little more easy to sip, but it's definitely good stuff. It actually even seems a bit sweeter. Like I said, it's really hard to get an overall difference in the three that I've tasted. I mean, they all have a little bit of a different profile to them. I would say that the first one definitely is the, you know, it's your high end, it's your Old Rip Van Winkle. Everything's, it's it's almost perfect. It's smooth, it's tasty. Um, everything about it, you know, says it's an excellent bourbon. Number two, it was almost like the same thing, just a tad bit off as far as the smoothness was concerned with the original Old Rip Van Winkle. Three had a tad more sweetness to it and a little bit more smoothness to it. Overall, I'm pleased with the experiment. Um, I will say that I'll have to say that the original still is the best, but the other two were so close that if you can't find or can't get a hold of a bottle of Old Rip Van Winkle, these two make definitely make good replacements. If you can get your hands on some Weller Antique and some Weller 12-year-old, I would definitely say it's worth getting yourself like a decanter and coming up with some poor man's pappy, Like I said, the recipe that I've come across usually calls for a 60-40 split, 60% Weller 12, 40% 107. As far as using, you know, if you, if you want to use a barrel aging stav or if you want to use an actual uh, barrel to age it in, that might bring out more smoothness. I would say just give it a shot. Give it a try and see what kind of results you get out of it. It's definitely worth doing if you can get your hands on those two Weller bourbons and making some poor man's pappy. I'm definitely happy with the results of it. Cheers. Well, that's going to about wrap up this week's edition of Reverend and Branch. I'd like to give some shout-outs to some of my favorite podcasters. These guys inspire me on a weekly basis to continue what I'm doing, and every one of their shows are entertaining and worth subscribing and listening to. First off, subscribe and listen to The Vice Lounge Online, where Tony and Jason... Review spirits, cigars, and talk about gambling and other vicey good things. You should also be checking out Vegas Confessions, where Shane, Julian, and Eric provide Vegasy goodness each and every week. Another great Vegasy podcast is Faces and Aces Las Vegas, where Chris does great interviews, provides great Vegas content and news, and is also just an all around great guy. If you're not into Vegas but you like to travel, you should also check out Travel Fanboy where Adam Gives great advice for the budget-minded traveler. Finally, please follow Bourbon & Branch on social media. You can catch me on Twitter at B-O-U-R-B, the letter N, Branch. You can also find me on Instagram at B-O-U-R-B and A-N-D Branch. Also, don't forget to join our Facebook group, Bourbon & Branch Podcast. Also, I'd love to hear feedback from listeners via email. That's at Podcast at gmail.com. Finally, always remember, there's no wrong way to enjoy bourbon, as long as you're with friends and family, sharing pours and laughs, one great boozy snack at a time. Cheers, everyone.